0: In this episode, we are going to talk about prepaid phones. Oh, girl. (laughs) Listen, you want to talk about nostalgia? I forgot (laughs) about the challenges and struggles I overcame. You want to talk about resiliency? My God. You can trace back all of my finer moments in life to my cell phone plan. I mean, that's why I had to go get a job at the Waffle House. It, your cell phone plan really shaped you into the, the person you are today. Yeah, some of you didn't have a prepaid cell phone, and it shows. Welcome to another episode of True Crime Creepers, where we talk about all the real-life creeps, from serial killers to con artists. I'm Kristen, the true crime fanatic who loves to tell these stories. And I'm Mogap, the true crime newbie who hasn't heard any of them. So today, Mogab, I'm going to tell you the story about the murder of Abraham Shakespeare. And I'm going to tell you that I'm already disappointed in this flowchart. Let the record reflect that she is holding up the flowchart that I made her. I used ge- glitter gel pens. There's glitter gel. I color coordinated. The best part is I'm sure you weren't expecting me to print this off. I was not expecting you to print <laughs> it because you texted it to me, and you know my ninety-five-year-old ass was like, "Okay, let me figure out." So I printed this, and when it was, I picked it up hot off the press. I was like, "Is this a glitter gel pin?" I literally said that out loud. To but I it's will. What I had on hand, I would like to point out some enhancements. Before we get started oh, from previous. Excellent. Videos. Okay. So she's referring to the flowchart I made for the Collar Bomb Heist episode, which I stand by to this day, but we're going to go ahead and repost that on the gram. Sure. I mean, <laughs> if you want to call that a flowchart. This, however. Yeah, I, it was. I, do. I will say. Because that was actually a flowchart. This is not really a flowchart. There's web. no flow really to it. This is a web. That's a web. But that is a web. Yeah, I appreciate that the names are in one color, the description is in another. There are connecting lines. I mean, this is you know a step up. Still a ton of room for improvement. There were connecting lines on the last one, Moget. Well, but they weren't. They weren't really <laughs> connecting. Yes, they were. <laughs> I just am looking at this, and it's like all these rectangles, and you got a trapezoid over here. <laughs> Isn't that For what the that's, party girl. <laughs> Isn't that what that's called? I think that's a rhombus. No, stupid. Actually, a rhombus is a diamond. A rhombus is not a... Look it up. No. This is a trapezoid. Rhombus. It's like a diamond. It's like a square with slanty sides. A rhombus is a diamond. <laughs> this is a trapezoid. All right, fine. That's a trapezoid. You're right. It's a freaking trapezoid. Fine. Yes this show is sponsored by better help we all carry around stressors big and small for me this comes in the form of work too many deadlines relationships with people irrational fears of the future when we keep them bottled up it can really start to affect us negatively mentally and physically therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down my therapist has really been helping me work on coping skills for how to handle my stress how to handle day-to-day tasks that I struggle with, as well as working on communicating and improving personal relationships and just talking through problems with somebody who understands. It's something I wish I'd started ages ago. But finding a therapist is so overwhelming. Are they taking new patients? Are they taking insurance? And once you find one that says yes to both of those, are they a good fit? If not, you have to start the process all over again. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Creepers today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Creepers. All right. My my main source for this episode was a book called Unlucky Number by Deborah Mathis and Greg Smith. I just really couldn't find the details that I wanted in any of the articles about this case. And with this case, every detail is fascinating. So, so you write a book. So I read a so I read a book. Are you are you employed full time still these days? Yep, yep. I'm I'm a full time teacher. <laughs> <laughs> I work full time, and also I read a book for this episode <laughs> and summarized the dang thing. Look, I'm putting my skills to good use finally. Like this is what I was made to do. And then you made this doodle, and then I made that doodle. It's beautiful. Look, this thing is like 22 pages. All right, so right. This might be a long one. I'm just saying. There are the lottery winners that. Win big, but choose to lay low. the ones who choose not to have their names released if their state allows that, which all states should allow that. oh, we're talking about like the real lottery, the real lottery like money there's they're the ones you know they spend their money modestly, they just live on in obscurity. Hmm. Then there are the lottery winners who blow through obscene amounts of money in shockingly short periods of time and end up bankrupt or in even more debt than they were in before. And then there are the really tragic stories of lottery winners. The ones where you ask, if they'd never won the lottery, would they still be alive? Ew. Uh- That's our story today. Abraham Shakespeare might have the coolest name in the world, but he didn't have the easiest life. Oh, I beg to differ um i'm sorry you don't like the name abraham shakespeare i don't know i feel like shakespeare's been there done that you know (laughs) (laughs) no (laughs) i don't know you don't meet a lot of shakespeare's he dropped out of school after seventh grade to work with his father in the citrus groves and he was basically illiterate he could read and write some but not much and not very well and then when he was 13, he was convicted of a theft and he was sent to a state-run juvenile detention center where he lived until he was 18. Oh my goodness. I know first off, I can't even begin to ponder what kind of theft means locking up a 13-year-old kid for 5 years, like their entire like adolescence. When he got out of the detention center, he moved in with his father and he mostly just kept to himself. In 1998, he had a son that he named Moses. And he was off and on with Moses' mother, Antoinette, which is a real shame because Abraham and Antoinette, I mean, that's just like the perfect couple name. So cute. I know. But by all accounts, he absolutely adored Moses. But it was Really? really hard for Abraham to find work. And he more often than not just couldn't pay the child support. It's really hard for me to find Moses on here. He doesn't even have his own square. He's on there. So, um, quit your bitching. Quit your complaining. He's not in a square. He's oh, a- he's in a square. He's not his own square. Mm-hmm. Got it. Baby mamas. All right. <laughs> With the baby names. Okay. He went to jail a few times over his failure to pay child support, which I'm sure made finding work even more difficult. Right. He could occasionally get day labor jobs, washing dishes or loading trucks, but it wasn't consistent and it wasn't much. He spent most of his time hanging out in front of a convenience store called Super Choice Foods with friends that were in equally unenviable positions. But the owner liked Abraham, and he'd throw work his way every now and then, running errands and that sort of thing. He even paid for Abraham's cell phone. I wonder if it was one of those prepaid phones. Oh, probably. (laughs) Yeah. Abraham was easily likable. He was quiet and easygoing and just harmless. He never hurt anybody, but he had few friends. Mm. One of those friends was a guy named Greg Smith, who owned a barbershop. Abraham had dropped by the barbershop one day asking if there were any odd jobs he could do, and Greg gave him a few things around the shop to do. Abraham started coming by two to three days a week, and he became a staple in the shop, joining in on all the gossip that happens in the barbershops. Yes. On November sixteenth, two 2006, Abraham had gotten work hauling and unloading a food truck. He was 41 years old and had about $5 to his name. This day, he was accompanying truck driver Michael Ford on a food route to Miami. They stopped at a convenience store in Frostproof, Florida to pick up some drinks and cigarettes. Michael was going into the store and he asked Abraham if he wanted anything else. Abraham gave him two of the $5 he had and asked him to grab him two Quick Pick lottery tickets. Stop it. One of those tickets would turn out to hold the winning numbers. (gasps) and was worth 30 million dollars. Oh my gosh. That people like that that don't play regularly blow my mind. My uncle was 90 years old and played the lottery every single day and never won big. Really? That's crazy. I think he he definitely played a lot. Like oh. he he played very I think that's probably where most of his child support money went to. Oh. <laughs> okay. Huh. When you win the lottery, you get a choice. You can get it paid out over time, or you can take the lump sum and get it all at once. And Abraham chose the lump sum of $17 million, and after taxes, that left him with about $11 million. $11 million was still more than he could have ever dreamed of. He was rich. When a reporter asked Abraham what it meant to be an overnight multimillionaire, he said with relief, it means I don't have to struggle anymore. Hmm. Okay, so far I like him. I'm going to put a smiley face in my flow chart. (laughs) Okay? Okay. I put a question mark by Greg because I'm just not sure about his credentials. And I have a question mark by Antoinette. Sure. He also, Greg is one of the ones that wrote this book. So FYI. Okay, so he's making his money. (laughs) But Abraham would find that wasn't exactly the case. The first mistake Abraham made was not getting a team behind him when he won the lottery. As I've said on previous episodes, I've given a lot of thought to what I would do when I win the lottery, which I never will because I don't play. Then buy a ticket. I have bought two tickets, and guess what? <laughs> I didn't win. Okay. It was a real letdown. <laughs> the first person you call when you win a lottery, do you know what? Do you know who that person is, Mogab? Financial advisor. I don't know. Good. That's the second person you call. First person you call is a lawyer, and then you call a financial advisor. And then you do whatever else they say before you claim the money. And there are so many reasons for this, but one of the things that they can help with is guarding your money from all the leeches that are going (laughs) to pop up asking for money. The leeches. The leeches. For Abraham, the first thing that happened was the government took the child support he owed, which was about $9,000. And then the state made sure that he put a million dollars into a trust for his son, which is great. Like, he was all, had no problem with that. But then people started crawling out of the woodwork, and the money drained rapidly. Like, three or four people came to him saying a loved one had died, and they didn't have the money to pay for the funeral, so he gave it to them. Some of them he'd never even met. He gave a million dollars to his stepdad, $250,000 to each of his three stepsisters. He paid off the $185,000 mortgage for a friend, the $60,000 mortgage of a guy he didn't even know the last name of, and $53,000 mortgage of a guy he'd seen around the neighborhood and he knew a little bit. Oh, my gosh. He paid off people's medical bills, mortgages, car loans, loans. (laughs) help a girl out, (laughs) He paid people's rent and old debts. He just gave and gave and gave. I want to know about the guy who he had buy the ticket for him, because I feel like that fool, what was his name? Michael Ford. He'll come back. Oh, I. I, yep. I thought he would. (laughs) He'll come back very soon. He later told a childhood friend that he thought all those people were his friends, and it wasn't until later that he realized that they all just wanted money. He didn't spend a whole lot on himself. His most extravagant purchase for himself was a new house. Two months after buying the winning ticket, he moved out of his mother's house and into a 6,500 square foot, $1.1 million house at 9340 Red Hawk Bend Drive in a more rural area of town. It had an enclosed pool, it was in a gated community, and he also bought a truck for himself and a $100,000 BMW, even though he couldn't legally drive. And he also bought a Rolex, but he bought it at a pawn shop, so he got a good deal. <laughs> hey, okay. I like a good, you know, bargain hunting. Yeah, sure, exactly. Is he still illiterate at this point? Yes, yeah. Which, mm-hmm. ugh, the irony of being named Shakespeare, being illiterate, that's got to be tough. I agree. I yeah. totally agree. Yes. He bought another house after seeing it once for $125,000, and then he rented it out to people he'd only met once. He gave his brother's son's best friend forty thousand oh dollars, his mom twelve thousand dollars, which really makes me mad because he gave his stepdad a million dollars. So I don't know why he he did that. And his sister ten thousand dollars, but all his stepsisters got two fifty. So I'm wondering about that whole dynamic too. <laughs> he was close with his mom. I mean, that wasn't a thing. He was living with her. Yeah. Greg Smith, the barber he sometimes worked for, he got a $63,000 loan from Abraham after he discovered that his late mother's house was about to be foreclosed on. And he hadn't even asked Abraham for it. Abraham heard about the struggle and came and basically put a check in his hand. But about five months after he won the lottery, that truck driver that he'd been with, the one you were asking about, Michael Ford, sued him. (gasps) Accusing him of stealing the tickets out of his glove compartment. Are you serious? Yes, he said he bought two lottery tickets every time he went to that convenience store. And so if it was true that Abraham had given him money to pick up two tickets, he would have walked out of the store with four tickets. And he said any money that was left over should be his. Mm. Abraham argued that he hadn't stolen anything. And he even supposedly he came into court dragging a giant trash bag filled with every lottery ticket he'd ever bought. I guess as a way to say like, look, I play the lottery. I play it a lot. It's not out of the ordinary that I would have you go buy these lottery tickets. He also detailed the gifts that he'd given Abraham. And he told about how Michael Ford had come to him soon after the win to ask him for a million dollars so he could start some business in Georgia. So why would he have done that if it had been his ticket in the first place? Why would he have asked him for this loan? Right. So in the end, the jury was not buying Michael Ford's story and they found in favor of Abraham. But the appeals wore on. And by this point, they're arguing over maybe $1.5 million in cash and around $3 million in assets. And the lawyer's fees were costing Abraham $800,000, almost a million dollars just in lawyer's fees. I'm surprised there's no protection, like, I don't know, for when you win, so that doesn't happen. Well, I guess because he had to prove that the ticket was his because of the circumstances that you bought it. But Yeah. Yeah, don't ever give somebody $2 to buy you a lottery ticket. Go in the freaking store and buy it yourself. Right. Don't scratch because it in front of them either. There's literally zero recourse for that. There's no way to prove it. I mean, it would very it would have been very easy for him Can't to say. Can they just pull the, I mean, the tape at the convenience store? Yeah, and they would have seen Michael Ford buying the tickets. Oh, shoot. Yeah yeah that's why he should have gone in to buy them mm-hmm. but yeah who actually expects to win <laughs> okay well i'm putting a huge frowny face with my purple <laughs> pin next to michael ford you sucker you sucker yeah we're pretty much done with him but oh. yeah he sucks. In November of 2008, Abraham's live-in girlfriend, Santoria Butler, who went by Tori, gave birth to their son, Jeremiah. They'd broken up a couple of months before Jeremiah was born. And then soon after, around November or December in 2008, a woman named Doris Moore, who went by Dee, Dee got in touch with Abraham through his real estate agent that sold him the Red Hawk house, Barbara mm-hmm. Jackson. They met at a real estate conference where Barbara had told the rags-to-riches story of Abraham Shakespeare, and Didi Dee Dee approached her and said she was interested in writing a book about him winning the lottery and how he was managing his finances. She said she'd written a book about organizing your finances, though the book was never published. She said she'd copyrighted it, though. Oh. Dee Dee came from a modest childhood, and by high school, she decided that that just wasn't good enough for her. She she was the type of person that would make her parents drop her off a block away from school so that <laughs> no one would see their car. She from Channelview? I'm just kidding. <laughs> she definitely gives Wanda Holloway a run for her money <laughs> from our cheerleader assassination <laughs> episode. <laughs> Attempt. After high school, Dee Dee earned a certificate to be a nursing assistant and apparently was really good at her job. When she was 19, she married James Daryl Moore and moved into a trailer with him on his parents' property. Two years later, they had a son named RJ, Robert James. They, he, mm. they called him RJ. And in 1995, Dee Dee was in a horrible car accident. The two people in the other car, it was a 17 year old driver and a 22 year old woman riding in the passenger seat, they both died. Didi was hospitalized, but she'd been driving a Hummer and they'd been driving a Pontiac Sunfire. So she made a full recovery. But people, including her own mother, have speculated that she had some brain trauma that night that might explain her future erratic, is the word we'll go with, behavior. See, I know I should have a Hummer. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. You know how bad I I'm not kidding at all. You do not want a Hummer. Why not? I don't know. My respect for you. Choo, 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 choo. Because that's so much different than what I'm cruising around in now. <laughs> yeah, it is a Hummer for soccer moms. Oh, you stop it. You take it back and right absolutely, now. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. Uh, first of all, a Hummer. I think you mean a Odyssey minivan. I'm sorry. Are you in the military? Are you serving overseas somewhere? Okay. But where you possibly this, need you know I've a Hummer, it. and so no, you're gonna the H- get the Hummer that's like the it's like the Crayola Hummer. It's like the no. the the I want the old H2 price. What's the price? The toys Fisher Price. We're not gonna help you insult me. The Fisher Price Hummer. It's like a Tonka truck. Yes. All right. I I am rethinking helping you pay off your student loans when I won the lottery because <laughs> I'm worried that without that debt you're gonna go out and buy a Hummer. <laughs> uh, you know me so well. <laughs> In 1999, Dee was charged with shoplifting and she got probation. A little while later, she and her husband fell way behind on their rent for a house they were leasing. And she told the landlord some story about how these people were after her. And they left a warning sign on her front porch. And then they'd set the warning sign on fire. And that's why she was late on her rent.
1: But the,
0: the landlord wasn't buying it and he evicted them. Yeah, it's a weird story. And I'm telling you all of this about Dee Dee because it's going to be important to know that she has a history of lying. Yeah, and in extreme ways. I, uh, right now I feel sorry for her. Mm, Why? Well, because she had a Hummer and so you relate to her on a spiritual (laughs) level? (laughs) I think, I don't know, the car accident. I'm not sure. You feel bad that she killed two people in her home. Okay, humma? look. First I <laughs> first I felt bad that her name is Dee Dee like that. And then yeah, sure. Two, I thought we don't know who is at fault that accent. Yeah, we? I mean and I don't I don't know if she, if it was her fault or not. I don't I don't know. That is really I'm assuming though. it probably was because she That's very hard to I'm sure. It's crazy. Yeah. In 2001, she was arrested for writing a bad check for $418 to the tax collector of her county, and she was sentenced to probation and got a fine, but no jail time. And this seemed to make her confidence grow because she started taking more and more risks, I'm feeling less sorry for her now. Well, yeah. In June 2001, she was in danger of getting her $50,000 Lincoln Navigator repossessed because she'd missed several car loan payments. She vowed to the loan officer that she would do whatever she needed to do to keep the navigator. And that's when things got weird. In a little town about 40 miles away, a guy driving down the road spotted a woman who clearly looked like she needed help. She told him that three Hispanic men had abducted her, raped her, thrown her in a ditch, and stolen her Lincoln navigator. (laughs) Of course, this woman was Dee Dee Moore. And of course... She just lied about being raped and carjacked. A man confessed that Didi Dee Dee had paid him to drive the car and that she wanted to frame this other guy for it, a guy who'd gotten her in trouble with one of the companies she'd worked for and stolen from. He said she taped her own wrists and then threw herself out of the SUV into a ditch while he drove slowly past. Why would he agree to do that? <laughs> she paid him. <laughs> People will do some crazy shit for money. I know. The last couple episodes, like, give me a bullet. Hide this duffel bag. (laughs) Throw me out of this SUV. Like, no, we're not doing any of that. We're not doing that. We're not. We're not. Had she had proper consequences for any of those things or even just mental health help? What happened later just might not have happened at all. Around 2004, Dee started working at a new healthcare branch of the company that she'd been working for, and they gave her check writing authority, which was a really bad decision mm-hmm. because she was able to pilfer $60,000 before anyone noticed. Yes, that is not great. No. In 2006, she opened a company called American Medical Professionals, which was a medical staffing company. She took $60,000 that was supposed to go into payroll, deposited it. deposited deposited it into her accounts and said the money had just been hers to keep. Mm, That's not how that works, though. Despite all of this, Dee Dee somehow had no money. It might be due to the boy toy that she took on in 2007. So she invited this 23-year-old man named Char, 11 years younger than her, to come live with her for free She bought him expensive clothes, took him on lavish vacations. She rented a house in 2008 and set up her business offices there and allowed Char's mother, Patricia, to live there rent-free. And then she bought the house next door, telling Char that she paid for it all with the $300,000 that the IRS had paid her for turning in people that hadn't paid their taxes. Because that's... That's not a thing. I'm, like, very lost, and I know that I have this <laughs> subpar chart here, but, like, I I can't even follow the, what she's doing. <laughs> she told Char that it was the second time that the IRS had paid her six figures for turning in people that hadn't paid their taxes. And I know that's not true. I can't get the IRS to answer a phone call. <laughs> like, they're not writing checks. They're oh, just not. God, I I need to do my taxes. <gasps> <sighs> And now, Dee, Dee wanted to meet this lottery winner, Abraham Shakespeare. Barbara Jackson set up the meeting between the three of them. Barbara says that when she met Deedee, Dee, she was in a wheelchair, saying that she'd been in a car accident we- recently. But two weeks later, at this meeting, Dee, Dee hops out of her Hummer, walking in heels, saying she'd healed herself with scuba therapy. Oh. Is that like yeah. water aerobics, but with a really heavy thing on your back? Doesn't seem great. Um... I have absolutely no idea what it is. (laughs) sounds made up. It sounds made up. She told Abraham she wanted to write an article about him that would show what a generous man he was. She won him over with nonstop flattery, and they started spending a lot of time together. But she never did seem to get around to writing that article on Abraham. But did she, like, get around with Abraham? No, I don't think so. Okay. By January of 2009, maybe a couple of months after they were introduced, Abraham had replaced his financial manager with Dee. His current manager, Greg Massey, didn't like this one bit, and he told Abraham so. And many people had this really weird feeling from Dee, but Abraham wouldn't listen to anyone, to the point where he completely cut off Greg Massey. I just don't know what she'd have to do to gain his trust like that, but it worked. Greg Massey different than Greg Smith. Yes. He's just like the previous financial advisor. Yeah. Who's not also, on this chart at all? He's not on that chart at all because he's okay. unimportant. Oh, okay. Yeah. Did you want me to include every single side character? I mean, if you Jackson, do it. Might as well do it right, but here we are. Abraham told Dee, Dee that he was really struggling managing his winnings, and Dee, Dee offered to help. She said it's just in her nature to help people when they need it. <laughs> oh, I bet it is. Yep. Yeah. See how it says she has a helpful nature? Uh huh. With a helpful oh. nature. But by help, she really meant take control of all of his assets, including his cash, the loans he'd given to people that could still be collected on, and the property he'd purchased. Oh, no, not a conservatorship. <laughs> Basically. Dee had convinced Abraham that this was the best way to manage his finances and protect him from people popping up all over the place wanting money. She also instilled a lot of fear in him that Tori, the mother of his son, would come and take it all in child support. So here are some of the ways that she helped Abraham. Oh, good. Tell me. Yep. She transferred $246,000 from Abraham's account into the account of her company, American Medical Professionals. Okay. Then she purchased his $1.1 million house for $655,000, transferring the ownership of it to American Medical Professionals. But there's no evidence that she ever actually paid him the money. Okay. She bought almost $600,000 worth worth of the debts people owed Abraham. She bought it for $185,000, meaning all the people that owed him money now owed it to her. This included the barber, Greg Smith. Mm -hmm. But again, there was no evidence that she ever actually paid Abraham the $185,000. She and Abraham went to Bank of America to start an account for an LLC called Abraham Shakespeare LLC. (laughs) But as soon as as Abraham left the meeting, she told the bank manager not to give him any access to the account. And through the week of February 11th, she deposited over $1 million into that account. And then on February 18th, over $700,000 was withdrawn in cashier's checks that were all made payable to American medical professionals. And by the end of the week, that account that was a million dollars was down to $50,000. How on God's green earth do people think that they can get away with all of this? And I don't know. Like, I mean, that's how I felt when we talked about Anna Delvey or like anyone where this money... Well, Anna Delvey was getting her Center for Kids Who Can't Read Good set up and then she was going to pay everybody back. That was her plan. Right, but like... You're still conning people on the way to get there. How do you not think you right. get caught? Right. Especially if you go and – I don't know how you can tell the bank, don't let this man who – this LLC and this account and everything. Oh, That's I 100% go. think that that bank manager should be responsible for some of that, for right. allowing her. She said that it was because – I she made up some – like, well, she said something about taxes and – he was financially irresponsible and all this stuff, but I, I think she brought minutes from a meeting where the only person at the meeting was her, mm-hmm. and the only thing on the agenda of the meeting was remove Abraham Shakespeare from the LLC, and then she was the only one that signed it. So then she bought a 2008 Corvette for seventy thousand dollars paying with a cashier's check from American medical professionals. and she bought a Hummer, another Hummer for $90,000. At some point, she moved $2 million of Abraham's money into her bank account. This all happened within 90 days of their first meeting. She'd basically taken control of every asset Abraham ever had. Like 90-day fiancé, but the other way. (laughs) Yeah, I guess. On April 3rd, 2009, which is my mom's birthday. Oh, shout out, Kathy. (laughs) She talked Abraham into making a friend of his, Judy Haggis, his power of attorney, meaning she'd be able to sign documents, attend meetings, and all that kind of stuff for him if he ever just wanted to get away. Judy had been like an errand runner for Abraham, a party girl with no skills, no knowledge of business or the law, and she had no idea the power this had given her. It seemed Dee planned to take full advantage of that. Dee and Judy have no relation prior. They're not friends. No, yeah, not from before, no. Yes, I see no line there, okay. No one knew she was doing all of this, especially not his friends. And I'm honestly not entirely sure how much Abraham really knew or understood. You know, this is someone who dropped out of school in the seventh grade and whose schooling before that had probably when he went to jail for the rest of his school years and whose schooling before that had been so poor that he could hardly read or write. This was someone that had no idea how to protect himself or what he should even be protecting himself from. Or like, does he even know this isn't me being like mean, but I feel like I wouldn't have known what a power of attorney was if I didn't have. Yeah, I don't know. I highly doubt that he did. Yeah. Especially since he got rid of the financial advisor that was oh. More potentially actually looking out for him and his financial interests and not just trying to drain his accounts. That's usually not very lucrative for a financial advisor. April 6th, 2009 was the last day Abraham Shakespeare ever used his cell phone. This was three days after making Judy Haggis Abraham's power of attorney. He's like missing? Yeah, people around town had known for a while that Abraham was looking to leave town. He'd talked about maybe taking a trip to the Caribbean or maybe California. So when he just disappeared, people figured he just left to get away from people constantly hitting him up for money. Yes, that's what he should have done a long time ago. Yeah. So Didi started coming around, collecting on all the debts people owed Abraham, debts she now owned. She went to Greg Smith to pick up his monthly payment, which he paid, and he was always paying more than he was supposed to. His payments were only $540, but he was giving Abraham $3,000 a month to try and pay back that $63,000 loan he'd given him. Sorry, that's Greg. Yeah, Greg Smith, oh, the barber. Okay. So I, I have a smiley like face now. I like yeah. that. But when Dee Dee came by to collect, she didn't write him a receipt, and he asked for one, and she said she'd get it to him by tomorrow, but he, but she didn't. Mm-hmm. And Greg didn't like that one bit. Mostly, he wanted Abraham to know that he was making the payments, but also he just didn't think this was a way to do business. Whoever collected his payments, whether it was Abraham or his old financial manager, Greg Massey, they'd always provided him receipts. By the time his next payment was due, he said he wasn't paying her without a receipt for this one and for the last payment. And so she finally gave him the receipts and he felt a little better about working with her. Yes, Greg. He didn't- get those receipts. <laughs> Uh uh-huh he didn't like her and he didn't like the influence that she was seeming to have over abraham but he didn't know all the details of just how much she'd taken over and he figured he could deal with her for five minutes once a month (laughs) that's gotten me into some trouble (laughs) that feeling of like i can deal with this person for five minutes it's really gotten me into some trouble (laughs) you know yeah hence why i'm sitting here at this podcast that's true yeah that's actually (laughs) that's true But then he got a letter in the mail from American Medical Professionals, the medical staffing company that Deedee owned, saying they were preparing to start foreclosure proceedings against him. The letter said he hadn't been making loan payments and Greg had put his house up as collateral. So Greg starts freaking out and calls Deedee. And when she didn't call him back, he called Abraham. He'd been told that Abraham was on a cruise and he didn't want to disturb him, but he could not lose his house over a loan that he was making like Like quadruple payments yeah judy told greg the only way to get in touch with abraham at that time was through text message which greg thought was really weird considering abraham couldn't read or write (laughs) buddy (laughs) tech oh my god (laughs) yeah like do your homework (laughs) it's like the emoji you know like (laughs) yeah, exactly. Like, know who you're impersonating. You you got (laughs) to do better than that. Like, you got to be smarter than that. So he texts Abraham, super pissed, begging Abraham to call him back. And this is the text he got in response. Bro, I'm on a cruise and I'll be (laughs) back in town soon. I just needed to get away because all these N words are bothering me about money. Now, there were several things wrong with this text. First off, Abraham had completely spelled out the N-word, like hard R and all, which is not how anybody would spell it or use that word in the context that he was using it in. Also, the text was very well written, spelled correctly, grammatically correct. It did not seem right for a guy that couldn't read or write. So Greg talked to his wife about it, how it didn't seem like Abraham. And he had his wife send like a honey trap text to Abraham's phone just Mm -hmm. to see what he would write back. She said, baby, I love you. Would you please come home? And the real Abraham would have known it was Greg's wife. But the text that came through said, I'll be home soon and I'll call you when I get back. Oh. mm -mm. Mm -hmm. So Greg knew that wasn't Abraham. Mm -hmm. And he knew that Abraham wouldn't have let anyone else use his phone and text people back for him. Well, Didi eventually met up with Greg and just assured him the letter about the foreclosure was all a big mistake. She had some papers drawn up to prove it, and that made Greg feel better. But he was still not convinced that all was right with Abraham. And it got worse one day when he was at the barber shop and Judy and Didi pulled up in front. He got in the car, and Didi had been crying. And she told Greg that people thought something had happened to Abraham and that they were saying that she had something to do with it. And Every spidey-sensing Greg was tingling, telling him to get out of that car. Yes, listen to your spidey senses. <laughs> Greg told Didi that Abraham would be back soon, and that would clear it all up, and he told her not to worry, and he got out of that car. Other people in Abraham's life suddenly started getting texts from him, and they all thought it was weird. His son Moses... The mother got a ton of them over the course of the summer in 2009, and so did Abraham's god sister, his stepsister, the man who owned the convenience store Abraham used to hang out at, and so did Abraham's nephew, James, all explaining that he was okay. In the spring, it was a lot easier for everyone in Abraham's life to believe that he'd just picked up and gone on an extended vacation. They all knew the lottery winning had been harder on him than expected, and people had been approaching him left and right for money. But by autumn, when no one had spoken with or seen him since April, rumors started flying around town. Yeah, it's kind of sad that it takes that long. I know. Like, I mean, I get that people think that's where he's at, but I would at least, I don't know. Like, even if you Like, he didn't know, have anybody that was that close in his life that thought it was weird that they hadn't talked to him in six yeah. months. Yeah. I don't know. Like, yeah. mm So some rumors said that he was in Puerto Rico. (laughs) One super rude rumor was that he was in Jamaica getting treated for AIDS. Super rude. (laughs) So rude. (laughs) Sounds like a super liar started that. Mm Mm-hmm. People swore they'd seen him in Texas or New Orleans. Other people said he was just dodging child support payments. And still others said that he'd become a drug addict when the man had never even dabbled with drugs. It's like Ronald's got something to do with that on this chart here a completely real drug dealer not made up at all he's completely real he's not made up at all but his relatives were getting worried and they were trying to get his mother elizabeth walker to file a missing persons report but his cousin cedric persuaded her not to saying that he spoke with abraham almost every day and that abraham was planning on coming back for the holidays. His ex-stepfather tried to file the report, but the police wouldn't allow him to do it because he wasn't family, which seems really weird to me. Wait, who who said they have been talking to Cedric or Abraham Cedric. every day? Cedric did? Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. But that's a lie. Yeah, that's a lie. Cedric delivered a package to Elizabeth that had a birthday card and some cash in it, And she said the signature looked like Abraham's. Elizabeth was confident that her son was fine, and the rumors all died down. I hate this. But why does it say here he filed a missing persons report? Well, because by November 2009... Abraham had been gone for seven months, and too many people thought something was wrong, and so it was Cedric that went to report him missing. Cedric told police that he'd been paid $5,000 to tell everyone that Abraham had gone away and to deliver the birthday card to Elizabeth Walker. At the time, Cedric said he believed that Abraham really had gone into hiding, and he thought it would help Abraham's mom not to worry so much, but now he thought something was wrong. When police asked him who gave him the package, Cedric told them it had been Dee Moore. Okay. But then detectives started to wonder if Cedric was really on the up and up as he told them more of his story. They discovered that Didi had been threatening to repossess Cedric's car and his house, both of which had been a gift from Abraham. And they wondered if Cedric was just trying to get revenge on Didi. It didn't help that after this conversation, Cedric continued telling people that he'd seen Abraham, publicly denied ever filing the missing persons report, <laughs> and became uncooperative and confrontational after that. Great. But the police looked into his story. They knew that Dee had taken control of Abraham's finances, which were only around a million or two when they met. And I say only when it's compared to the 11 million he started right. with, but… One or two million dollars is still a lot of money, and people have definitely killed for a lot less than that. So they called Dee, Dee in for questioning, and she was an information fountain, just spilling oh. details all over the place. She told detectives how unhappy Abraham had been, how he was constantly saying he wished he had his old life back, how he wanted to get away from people, constantly hitting him up for money. And she said it was just in her nature to help. Oh, that helpful nature. Yep. She told detectives Abraham had even gotten a fake passport with the name Rodriguez so he could be hidden more easily. Mm. After her interview, detectives went by the Red Hawk house to talk to Dee again. She, her son RJ, and her boyfriend Char had all moved into that house shortly after Abraham disappeared. This was the $1.1 million house Abraham had bought. Dee explained to the police that it was her house now that Abraham had sold it to her and that he'd been happy to unload the place. But she couldn't prove that with any sort of documentation, and so her story soon changed. She said she hadn't given him actual cash for the house. She'd traded him plane tickets and cruise tickets for the that, house. That Royal Caribbean. People... <laughs> <laughs> people are whiling out for cruise tickets. <laughs> Must be a nice room. <laughs> This episode is sponsored by Pros. Supporting our sponsors really helps support the show. A couple of years ago, I decided it was probably time I figure out some kind of skincare routine. But the problem was, and has always been, too many options. I don't know exactly what I need or what's best for me and my skin. So thus far, my solution has been to just buy a skincare line off the shelf and hope it helps. But that's all about to change when my custom skincare from Pros comes in. Each and every bottle of Pro's custom hair and skincare is made to order and personalized with a unique blend of naturally powerful and proven effective ingredients to meet your needs. In fact, in a third-party, double-blind, dermatologist-supervised controlled clinical study, aka the gold standard in research studies, Pro's proved that personalization works better than off-the-shelf alternatives. Try it for yourself and get your healthiest hair in 30 days or get your money back. Pros is so confident that you'll love your results that they're offering our listeners an exclusive trial offer so that you can see the difference custom care can make. That's 50% off your first subscription order at pros.com slash creepers. That's P-R-O-S-E dot com slash creepers for your free consultation and 50% off your one of a kind formulas. Pros dot com slash creepers. But these are not your run of the mill detectives. These are very observant detectives who could tell her stories just didn't add up. And then Dee, Dee Moore went to work. Her first stop was to Abraham's son, Jeremiah's mother, Tori Butler. She told Tori that she wanted to give her a car and the deed to a house she'd foreclosed on after taking over Abraham's mortgage loans. All Tori had to do for her was to call investigators and tell them that she'd recently seen Abraham and that he was fine. Like, how are people not like, hey, did you kill him? Right. I know. <laughs> I know. I but mean, at this point, Tori's pretty peeved as Ab- at Abraham thinking that he just ran out on his child support, so she agreed to do it. Ugh. But then, instead of giving them Didi's Dee story, she told them about the con that Didi Dee Dee was trying to run. Oh, good. Okay. Yeah. Putting a big <laughs> and- smiley face by Tori. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to do that, like, big-eyed emoji smiley. Yes. And once again... Our very bright detectives thought perhaps Abraham wasn't just missing after all. Yeah, perhaps. Perhaps. Dee Dee's next stop was to Greg. She told him that the police had come and searched her house, taken computers and records, and she just needed to get them off her back until Abraham came back. She said she was just trying to do the guy a favor and take care of his financials while he was away, but that he didn't want to come back right now and she couldn't make him. But those darn detectives just aren't buying her story. And so she needs Greg to call a guy who'd been asking about Abraham and tell him that he was at a strip club in Miami and he saw Abraham Shakespeare at that strip club and that he even saw the guy's ID so he knew it was him. I'm just not getting strip club vibes from Abe, but yeah, I you know, fair, I guess. But he did kind of have a a bunch of ladies moving into his house when he. Yeah, I guess it's just like now that he's like going on Royal Caribbean cruises, (laughs) (laughs) like you know. Yeah, I don't see him (laughs) sitting there like slinging you know dollar dollar bills. Yeah. Dee said that she'd pay him $300 to make this phone call. Oh, <laughs> she's really... <laughs> yeah. She's really running out of funds. <laughs> yeah. It's really hold going one down. one phone him. call, you know? She's got to, yeah. like... She's got to hold back some funds for the next time. Mm-hmm. And Greg figured he could make a phone call for $300. <laughs> except yeah. this guy wasn't just somebody that was asking about Abraham. This guy was one of the detectives on Abraham's case. <laughs> okay. That, that kind of changes things. <laughs> yeah. He didn't um. know that, though. So he, he's <laughs> called this detective and lied to him, not knowing that he's a detective. After he made that phone call, Dee Dee hit him up once again. And this time, she wanted him to call Abraham's mother and pretend to be Abraham. Okay. Oh, I know. She said to tell her that he couldn't come home because he'd gotten into trouble for choking a girl in a club and the police were looking for him. Do you think Dee Dee is keeping her own web of like notes (laughs) for like when? I mean, she definitely is is not so convoluted. She is forgetting her lies left and right. (laughs) Does she not think that the mom will recognize like Abe's mom will recognize that it's not her son's voice? Well, she thinks that Greg can just pretend. Yeah, but that's not how that works. (sighs) Well, it did work. I mean, Greg was a little more hesitant to call Abraham's mother and pretend to be him than just calling some stranger and telling him he saw him. But he needed the money Didi was flashing before him. And so he agreed to do it. How much was that phone call? 300 We don't know. I don't know. Yeah, I'm not sure. The detectives had managed to trace the calls back to Greg because these are not criminal masterminds. <laughs> and so they started tailing Greg and they saw him meet up with Dee and exchange some money and they were pretty sure they knew what was going on, but they needed to talk to Greg. Greg was more than happy to cooperate with police, knowing full well this had to do with Dee. The police said they had their suspicions about her, but they needed Greg's help. They wanted him to keep talking to Didi and see if he could get any more information about what happened to Abraham. Greg wasn't really into the idea at first, but the more he thought about it and the more he asked around, the more he started to realize how obvious it was that something had happened to Abraham Shakespeare and that Dee Dee had been be- had been behind it all along. Obviously. Yeah. The police called Didi Dee Dee in for questioning and when the officer told her he thought Abraham was dead and that Didi Dee Dee knew that he was dead, Dee, Dee burst into tears and rattled off every good thing she'd done for Abraham and how she'd just been trying to help him and now she was in all this trouble when she didn't even do anything. Oh. It was just her helpful nature. <laughs> her helpful nature. <laughs> no. She told the officers that she was certain he was coming back soon because he'd called his mom and told her so. Oh, how does she know that? Right. And obviously, at this point, they know it was Greg Smith that called Elizabeth Walker, not Abraham. (laughs) But now they knew that Dee Dee didn't know they knew. Yeah. So they sent her away and went to work on getting more information. I really liked Greg, too. Yeah. At Mm -hmm. first. Yeah. He's still good. Yeah. And there were plenty of people willing to talk about Dee Dee. All those rumors that were going around town that he'd left, that he'd been seen in Texas, that he was getting treated for AIDS in Jamaica, all of them, it seemed, could be traced right back to Didi Dee Dee herself or people paid by her to spread rumors. Well, Yeah, which is her. These detectives were tracking other suspects down as well, including Michael Ford, the guy who had sued Abraham over the ticket, mm-hmm. but all of them were eliminated early on as a suspect. Detectives continued to call in Didi Dee Dee for additional interviews, and I feel like at this point they were almost just amusing themselves because it wasn't like Didi Dee Dee was refusing to talk. Like, she'd right. talk and talk and talk. She'd talk in circles. She'd never actually answer their questions, but her interviews just became full of inconsistencies and changes to her story. Of course, she's always the hapless do-gooder just trying to help with her helpful nature. This reminds me of um old Pam. Pam Hup from that episode. Oh, yeah. Yes. Which, by the way, I hate that Russell now, anytime I ask him something, he's like, oh, you just think I'm poor? Like, just all the time. (laughs) (laughs) Every time. Like, once a week when I ask him about something. Oh, you just think I'm poor? That's amazing. He's quoting me. Yes. (laughs) Getting the same vibes here from Dee Dee. I love it. That was our Betsy Faria episode. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, she (laughs) tried. She tried to get ahead of the story as well by going to the media and sharing her side of the story. And at this point, her side of the story is that Abraham left all on his own. She even sent the news a video that she'd taken of her talking to Abraham, and he looks really annoyed in the video, and he says that they just don't take no for an answer. So I just let him keep on and keep on asking. And like talking about people coming to him for money. Yeah. And she's asking him questions like, where do you want to go? California, a foreign country, Cozumel. And he says it doesn't matter. And she asks him if he's going to miss home. And he says, yep, I'll miss it. But life goes on. She said he'd planned it. He'd planned to disappear and never come back. He intentionally did not want to be found. She said he'd sold her his mess so she could deal with it and he could get his life back and that she'd practically given it away to get hers back. But the detectives were pretty certain they were on the right trail. They just had no idea what they were even looking for. Were they looking for a body, a kidnapping? They searched Dee Dee's house top to bottom, combed through every document on her computers, Mm -hmm. but their big break came (gasps) from Greg Smith. Ooh. Police put a wire on Greg and they sent him to work. He got in the car with Didi to talk about Abraham. But during their conversation, Didi got suspicious and like lunged at Greg, feeling up his arm in the middle oh, of his chest. Trying to find it. <laughs> uh huh. But luckily, right before he met with Didi, he decided to move the mic to the left side of his chest away from the passenger seat. Uh. And so she didn't feel it and seemed to continue to trust him but he couldn't take a close call like that again so he came up with something else which why is that still the way they wire people i feel like we straight just, up the middle i know r- like cuz i guess that's the best sound can we just like come up with something better like little like well love, greg did pen? greg got an empty red bull can oh and the top and he got the top of the can off by rubbing the rim of it on a grinding wheel until it just popped off like yeah. the whole lid the top of it he put a small digital recorder that his wife had in the can and then he stuck the top back on and it fit perfectly so he figured he'd just keep the can in a cup holder in his car and that way he could record the conversation without risking Didi finding the wire he always had a red bull in his hand and so Didi wouldn't think anything of the one in his cup holder great yes great job so January 10th, 2010. Remember, the last time Abraham used his cell phone was April 6th, 2009. So this is like, we're talking about the next January. Mm-hmm. I was in Hawaii, for everyone that's wondering. Oh. I did not see Abraham there. Oh. For the record. No. <laughs> <laughs> I was in S- Bali. Okay, Actually, really, or bitch? maybe India. Really? <laughs> <laughs> uh, woof. Sorry. I'm not a one upper. I promise. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> Thought we were just sharing our travels. <laughs> January 10th, 2010, Dee Dee was calling Greg again for a meetup. This was Greg's time to shine with his little <laughs> CIA invention. During this recorded conversation, Dee, Dee tells Greg what to say if the cops ever catch on to their little meetings. She says he should blame it on a drug dealer from Miami named Ronald. Oh, Ron. Ron. Ronald. He should tell police that Ronald had given him information about Abraham, and he'd just been passing it along to Dee. Dee. She also asked him to get two new prepaid phones <gasps> for him and Judy. Oh, girl. I also had a prepaid phone in 2010 (laughs) when everyone was getting iPhones. Exactly. (laughs) I could have helped him out. Yeah. Greg got out of the car and he ran into the radio shack to get the phones. And then Dee Dee said they needed to write a letter pretending to be Abraham to his mother, reassuring her that Abraham was okay. Okay. She's so but, uh, leave, leave Elizabeth <laughs> Walker alone. <laughs> I know. But what has has Greg asked? Does Greg know what's where Abraham is? No. But like, no, he doesn't know. What can he ask already? Well, Dee Dee's <laughs> telling him sh- he's on a cruise. He's in know, but Jamaica getting treated for AIDS or whatever. Jamaica me crazy. No, he because he's gotta like play along with her bullshit. He's <sighs> gotta like make her think that. He believes her so that she continues to talk to him. If he starts acting suspicious, she will run away. When Greg showed up later at the motel room, Dee Dee answered the door practically in a hazmat suit. I thought you were going to say naked. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God. She's completely covered in protective gear, and she wanted Greg to do the same. And Greg legit thought that she was about to murder him, like all (laughs) Dexter style. (laughs) Oh, God. I thought I love how you said hazmat suit. I was like, oh, this bitch is in lingerie. <laughs> no. Hazmat suit. The letter to Abraham's mother promised Didi's son a car for all that he'd been putting them through. Like, the letter to Abraham's mother promised that he would give Dee's son a car. Like, that's not the content of the letter <laughs> I'm looking for for my son I haven't seen or heard from in, like,
1: over Almost a year. a year.
0: Yeah. It was also a pretty long letter, just impossibly long for someone that doesn't know how to read or write. But Dee never could stop talking. She had Wait. a tendency to go on and on. Wait. And this, doesn't his mom know he can't write or read? Yes. Oh. <laughs> yes. And this letter was just the same, going on and on and on. Greg warned her about mentioning herself too many times in the letter or over explaining because that can look suspicious. (laughs) When it was ready, she printed the pages and then folded them with a pair of tweezers before sliding it into an envelope with gloved hands and then using an envelope sealer to seal it instead of licking it. And then they mailed it out. And he didn't think any of that was weird. No, yeah, he totally did. He had told detectives that he was meeting up with her because detectives were waiting. And as soon as Dee Dee and Greg left, they pulled up to the mailbox, took the letter, and placed it into their growing pile of evidence. It's amazing. Yes. So Dee Dee starts to panic when the sheriff holds a press conference stating that he believes Abraham Shakespeare is dead and publicly names her as a person of interest. And Ooh. then her panic rose when days went by with no word about this letter that they'd sent. She didn't know, of course, that the police they had been intercepted stolen out the mailbox the letter. Yes. <laughs> so she called Greg, freaking out, saying the police are trying to pin this on her, asking Greg how they could call her a person of interest when all she'd ever done was try and help her helpful nature. <laughs> Greg tried to calm her down and tell her there's no hard evidence, no body, but he was secretly enjoying the meltdown. Oh, I'm sure. (laughs) Yeah. He's like, or is there? Is there a body? Yes. She told him, and this is a quote. I think this call was recorded, but it might have just been reenacted because, like I said, Greg did help write this book where I got most of the information. But anyways, she said, quote, But Abraham's own mother just heard from him that he's fine and he's going to come back soon. She got a letter from him and all. (gasps) Oh. She said that to Greg. Who had been there while they wrote the letter together. (laughs) So she's trying to say Abraham is fine because his mom just got a letter from him. But she didn't. though. Yeah. First of all, she didn't get the letter because the police (laughs) have it. And Greg was there helping her write the letter and knew it was fake. It was like she seemed to just do this. She seemed to just forget who was in on what parts of her plan. She'd been telling him for weeks that this drug dealer named Ronald was after her because of a run in that he had with Abraham and that if anything happened to Abraham, it had to have been Ronald completely forgetting that she'd asked Greg to pretend that he was Ronald. (laughs) He knew that Dee had been telling lies for months. At one point, she even told him that she was considering starting a rumor that Abraham had died in the 2010 Haiti earthquake. Wait, you can't you can't like post-date that? She's just like running it by him. Like, like you know. What do you think about this? Of, Yeah, what do you, what do you think about this? She'd also been telling anyone who'd listened that Abraham's mom had signed a sworn affidavit saying that she'd seen her son. Who would, need to do that? Who, who would need to do that? Who would need to do I that? Who would need to do that? I swear I've seen my son. Yeah. but, but Okay, Nancy, Grace. <laughs> but talking to him about this letter as if it were legit was on a whole nother level for Greg. Like he hated her more. But he also feared her and what he knew she was capable of. And he soon found out exactly what it was she was capable of. The detectives met with Greg and they came up with a plan. They mm-hmm. wanted Greg to suggest to Didi Dee Dee that she find a guy to take the fall for Abraham's murder, someone who was already going to jail anyway, and oh she could God. make a deal with them that she'd keep their commissaries full while they were in there. You know what's going to happen? Didi Dee Dee is just going to wear, she's just going to wear you down. Like, she is <laughs> wearing me down. I, yes. I feel like I'm about to get a call for $300. I'm like, all right. <laughs> <laughs> well, I <laughs> yeah. guess. Probably, <gasps> especially when you've already put somebody through the trauma of like accidentally making the mistake that saying you're going to foreclose on their house yeah. and like, you know, and and then being the savior. Oh, no, it's all, you know, I mean, she did that on purpose. Yeah. So Greg brought this idea to Dee Dee, this idea of like finding a fall guy, mm-hmm. and she loved it. She was so excited. She told Greg, what if I could get the gun that shot Abraham? Oh. <gasps> And the fall guy puts his fingerprints on it. That would oh, help, right? Yeah. Where's that at? Do you <laughs> see? I cannot it? believe she basically just admitted to shooting Abraham. You can't. How else would she know where the gun was? Right. Ugh. Or that he'd even been shot in the first place. Like, to, And to me, it, it also was like the first confirmation that he would have that Abraham actually is dead. It's like you know it. Yeah. But then to be then like, like, oh, so it's true. He really is dead. Like, my yeah. friend is dead. You know. Mm. So they get an undercover detective named Mike and he went with Greg to pretend to be this volunteer fall guy. And Dee Dee, she went on a long diatribe about Ronald, the made up drug dealer, and how he'd been threatening her and how she really didn't think Abraham was okay anymore. And she was pretty sure he was dead and that Ronald had killed him. And she figured she could get him to tell her where he'd buried abraham and she was pretty sure ronald had buried abraham on her property <gasps> to frame her oh does mm-hmm. she mm-hmm. she's being framed once detectives heard this they knew they needed greg to get dd Dee Dee to tell him where the body was so greg went and told dd Dee Dee that he heard the police were fixing to serve a bunch of warrants and search her property mm-hmm. and dd Dee Dee said well, how are they going to start issue a search warrant when the mother told them she'd seen the son and signed a sworn affidavit? <laughs> She's got to give that up. Like, <laughs> I, don't, I don't understand that. And Greg wanted to say, because everyone know that's, knows that's a lie you made up, especially the police who don't have any signed sworn affidavit. Davids. Yeah. <laughs> but instead, he told her that it's time to move the body. They had to move it if it was on her property, and she should let Greg handle it. But Dee Dee wanted to make a deal. She wanted her lawyer to come up with some deal that the police couldn't touch any of her assets if she promised to tell them where somebody's at that might have had something to do with Abraham's death. God, she, she said is- there was a guy who kept calling her, and she finally found out who he is. Is it Ronald? His name is Ronald, (laughs) and Greg is like, "Not this crap again!" (laughs) Oh, god! It's it's really like she didn't remember that she'd been talking about Ronald (laughs) this whole time, or once again that she'd actually had Greg pretend to be Ronald on a phone call. Does she have dementia by chance? I'm just—I would not be surprised if she had brain trauma from that car accident. I mean, honestly. (laughs) And she already kind of had a personality suited towards this. And then maybe that just, I don't know. Greg is so ready for all this to be over. And it soon would be. Finally, Dee Dee tells him that Ronald called her and told her where on her property he buried Abraham. It was buried under that brand new concrete slab there that I had no idea a body was buried under when I poured the concrete. (sighs) (laughs) How can I hate someone... That is basically fictional to me. (laughs) (laughs) Here I am. She's a totally real person. (laughs) I know. She had a spiral notebook with drawings in it of where the body was, which she gave to Greg so he could move the body. But instead, of course, he handed the notebook over to the detective who had uh, search warrants ready and waiting. (laughs) She made like a she like just sketched Uh it out in a notebook. Yeah, from when Ronald was telling her so that Greg could go move the body for her. Where was she when Ronald was burying the body in her yard? I don't know. Maybe she was like collecting on people's debts or something. Was she also on a cruise? (laughs) 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 Royal Caribbean. Yes. (laughs) They were having a deal that day. (laughs) They arrested Didi Dee Dee and Greg together as part of a plan they'd worked out with Greg. And when they brought them in, they took Dee Dee to an interrogation room and she immediately said, You got him. You got the guy who killed Abraham, the guy who was with me, Greg. And the detective said, Yeah, no, Greg's been working with us this whole time, Dee Dee. Like, we know he didn't kill Abraham. Yeah. So then Didi Dee Dee- so then Dee, Dee tries to pin it on the fall guy, Mike. Who's the detective. But they have news for her too. <laughs> yes, Dee, Dee. That was an undercover detective. Want to try again? So then Dee, Dee told them her next story. Okay. Abraham had come to her house one day in early April, and he'd brought two or maybe three drug dealers with him. She didn't know them, but she caught one of their names. Guess what it was? Right. Ronald. Ronald. <laughs> <laughs> oh god abraham told Didi that he wanted two hundred thousand dollars in cash to give to them and she tried to talk him out of it because of her helpful nature but he sh- wouldn't have to borrow money from anyone <laughs> well Didi had control of the cash so right but like had it not been for her right <laughs> They argued about it, and that argument broke out in a fight amongst the men, and one of the drug dealers went to her open gun safe because the drug dealer didn't come armed himself. And we leave gun safes open. Right, right. Like, what's the point? (laughs) Right. So he grabbed her thirty-eight Smith & Wesson and fired two bullets into Abraham. But then detectives said they also knew that Ronald was made up. (laughs) So mm. then Dee, Dee went with her next story. <laughs> oh, good. Glad she has a plan D. Actually, what happened was <laughs> Abraham got caught with 40 kilos of cocaine. It was a drug deal that went bad. And then she kept trying to come up with a guy's name. Like The only name she could think of was Ronald, and she was trying not to say like, Ronald. Kevin. <laughs> Literally any other name she could. One. She finally said she had the name written down at home. Oh, <laughs> that's what she. She couldn't just come out like a Michael, a Scotty, a Steven, a Kevin, a Do- <laughs> not even a Donald. She couldn't even just switch out. Donnie, just start naming new kids on the block. I mean, honestly, Justin, <laughs> JC, Lance. I mean, I don't know <laughs> Alvin, Theodore. Like I. Simon. I could, Bur Ernie, <laughs> like this is so hard. <laughs> um, she's terrible at this. <laughs> she's so bad. So then detectives are like, look, Dee we know it's you. We know you killed Abraham. And Didi said, You know I didn't kill him. <laughs> So, That's not how that works. <laughs> so this interview was going nowhere. And without a confession or the actual body, they let Dee Dee go home for the night. But they told her not to leave town. <laughs> yeah. Don't get <laughs> The next day, Dee Dee went in for another interview. And this time, she told detectives that Abraham was buried under a 30 by 30 foot concrete slab in her backyard. And she also admitted that she'd used lime to cover his body. What does that do? I'm probably uh, it's it, fine. I'm probably not it, interested. It makes it decompose <laughs> faster. Oh, okay. I I say that with such confidence, but I really just assumed that I didn't look it up and oh, it's weird. Sure. I I actually thought you were talking from firsthand experience or something. <laughs> well, I did look into it after Breaking Bad. Okay. He puts the body in the bathtub and puts the acid on it and then the body goes through the bathtub makes a big mess. You know, I was like, so then then Walter White is like you should have used this tub because this tub could contain the acid. So that I was like, all right, I got to get me one of those tubs and I got to get oh. and I just need to have <laughs> it on hand. <laughs> why? But then I looked into it and apparently that's not the best way. So then I was like, because then I watched then I watched um But why do you act like you would- you Look, are like never going to hurt a fly. No, Why are you trying really, to I'm it, such you, a pacifist. I've never even hit somebody. <laughs> it's like literally never even hit somebody. I'm like terrified of confrontation. No, because then I watched Dead to Me. Okay. And in Dead to Me at the end, you know, she kills. No. The ex-husband. Definitely. Spoiler. And I'm like, and then they they spend all of season two making the most ridiculous choices ever. And I'm like because they didn't have a plan you can't be googling that stuff later mogab i just want to be prepared in the moment in case i ever have to hide a body i hope i never do no why would you ever need to (sighs) you're right i wouldn't i would just go to the police and do my time (laughs) go to jail (sighs) all right no killing people or burying bodies Anyways, early the next morning on January 26th, 2010, a bunch of investigators, including a forensic anthropologist, went to the house they now knew Abraham had been murdered in. Crime scene technicians went over the house and collected all the blood evidence they found. Other detectives went for the computers, flash drives, bank statements, anything that might show a trail to Abraham's murder. Meanwhile, other detectives went to Cedric's house, Abraham's cousin that had filed the missing persons report in the first place. Yeah, Cedric Diggory. No. <laughs> but okay. And Ron Weasley and, yeah, all these people. <laughs> he handed over a rec- over a recording of a conversation between him and Didi Dee Dee, where she said she wanted him to tell police that he'd seen Abraham attack and choke Didi, Dee Dee, <gasps> threaten to kill her, wrap her in carpet, and dump her in the lake. Oh, my God. Wrap her in carpet? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And that if he did that, she'd forgive all his debts that he owed and give him the deed to his house. He also gave them an affidavit Didi had brought over for him to sign, saying that Abraham had visited him to explain why he was disappearing. But it wasn't true, so he never had signed it. These affidavits. I know. Judy Haggis, the woman that Didi had convinced Abraham to make power of attorney... She yes. told detectives that Didi had called her on January 22nd to tell her that Abraham had brought over Cedric and Ronald, and they would oh. argued over $200,000, and Abraham put a gun to Didi's Dee head, and she'd passed out. But she oh. woke up just in time to see Ronald shoot Abraham, and he threatened to kill her son if she told anyone. Oh. Kill Didi's Dee son, Ar- R.J. Yes, to kill Didi's Dee son, R.J., uh-huh. Who's like a teenager at this point? Yeah. Finally, on January 28th, 2010, at around 5 p.m., after two days of intense digging, sifting, collecting, investigators finally found Abraham's body buried about six feet down. Ooh. His remains appeared to be mummified. He'd been mm. missing for almost 10 months, and the cause of death was ruled a gunshot. Ew. Deedee then tried to say that she saw Cedric take the gun and in cold blood shot Abraham. But then she said, actually, she'd just been arguing with Abraham herself and he attacked her and maybe she shot him, but it was in self-defense. Oh, but maybe it's hard to say. No, no, (laughs) no, girl. No, she did not steal all of his money and then shoot him in self-defense, please. Because then she blamed it on her teenage son, RJ. (laughs) and said that he killed him. Detectives Mm. knew that she was lying, but they still had to go talk to RJ, who was a ninth grader. A ninth grader. Yeah. They got permission from his dad, James Moore, to talk to him, who told them that 100% he did not shoot Abraham. And if he'd seen him choking his mom, he'd have called the police. So then Dee Dee came up with her next story to tell detectives. I mean, I don't even know how many were, like,
1: story number
0: nine here. She's just, like, hoping one will... (laughs) <laughs> land and they'll be like oh okay you're right but i mean that works at Pam hub yeah she should have at least written him down in that same notebook notebook with the no. sketch <laughs> right you know so she said it it still all happened at the house but now it's these two white guys that she didn't know but she knew they were drug dealers they showed up at her mm-hmm. office where she was with abraham and her lawyer howard stitzel on stitzel. april 6th 2009 An argument started and Abraham pulled the gun out and fired it at the lawyer, but the gun didn't go off. So Howard, the lawyer, grabbed Dee Dee's 38 Smith and Wesson and shot Abraham twice in the chest. And then Howard left with one of the drug dealers and the others stayed to dispose of Abraham's body. And all Dee Dee had to do was get the hole dug. And then she accused the police of blackmailing her to get a name. And they're like, we know you (laughs) killed him and we know you buried him. And she's like, now y'all know I didn't do that. And they're like, we know no such thing. And they tell her they're looking at a potential death penalty case here. And she goes, well, that's not fair. <laughs> I mean, then detectives talk to Dee Dee's parents. And they find out that she'd asked her dad to take the fall for her. What? Telling him he was old. So why not? Like, you don't have much life left. Could you please go out as a murderer? Yes! Her dad also told them that she'd brought over three guns and stored them at their house, including a thirty-eight Smith & Wesson, that she'd gotten back a few days before. Her parents both came across as people who really loved their daughter but just didn't know what to do or what to think about all the lies. Yeah. They just seemed worn out from years of trying to explain <laughs> or defend Didi's <laughs> Dee behavior, and they Ooh. couldn't do it anymore. So it wasn't long before Didi Dee Dee was charged with first-degree murder. Oh, thank God. (laughs) And behind bars, she's telling all sorts of stories, of course. Mm -hmm. Inmates would come to the police with tales of Dee Dee's innocence. And mostly it was just the same old stories being rehashed. She was covering for her son. Abraham had actually started it himself. Drug dealers named Ronald. But every time detectives heard a new story, there were a few details she would throw in that detectives wondered if they were rooted somewhere in truth. For example, one inmate told them that she kept Abraham's body in the garage closet overnight while her ex-husband James came over to dig the hole, not knowing what it was for, and that she had storage lockers that the detectives didn't know about. So, Dee Dee's trial began in Tampa, Florida, on November 26th, 2012. Six years had gone by since Abraham won the lottery, almost four since he was killed, and almost mm-hmm. three since his body was uncovered in Didi's Dee backyard. It's very sad. Yeah. Didi's Dee hair was no longer bleached blonde, and she lost a lot of weight being incarcerated. Her defense team made the argument that there were no witnesses that saw her shoot him or have any part in his murder. He also said that all these recorded conversations weren't really incriminating because she never says that she did it. They said, We believe that if you listen to all that evidence, it will become clear that she set forth her version of what she knows. And police did not accept it, and they're asking you to draw inferences from the facts here that are just one possible explanation. But all of those recordings are about, like, sure, she doesn't come out and say anything, but all the recordings are about covering up that he is missing. Right, but I think she's trying to get out of that first-degree murder. Well, and also, it's wild because her version of what happened was 17 different stories. Yeah, I know. There wasn't a, a version. <laughs> it was not a version. It was like, here, here's a buffet of versions. <laughs> like, take your pick. Yeah. Her, come <laughs> back with a clean plate. She's coming back to the buffet line <laughs> yeah. with a dirty plate with leftovers. Yeah. She's no kidding mixing in. Her ex-husband, James Moore, testified that Dee Dee called him one day and she wanted debris removed from the house and that she was remodeling and so she needed to bury it. So she asked him to bring his backhoe and dig a hole for her. So he came and he dug a hole about five feet deep. And then a couple hours later, she called him back and asked him to fill the hole back in. And he said he came and he filled it in, but he didn't see a body or anything else. Like, he just filled in the hole. I'm sure she covered it with, like... You know some like right, and I'm sure he wasn't first. like leaning over into the yeah, hole. Yeah, he's like, in a backhoe. It out. Yeah. right. Which like again, I don't know that you would bury debris, but I don't know because you know it. This is like some Bell Gunnis stuff, you know. Yeah, <laughs> she honey. had that guy digging up all those holes, <laughs> saying that it was her trash holes, <laughs> her, <laughs> rubbish, her rubbish. <laughs> <laughs> but she was putting bodies in them. These women are ruthless. Ruthless. Then a cement contractor that had poured her driveway testified that he'd been called back by Dee Dee because she wanted him to pour a 30 by 30 foot concrete slab in the backyard. Greg Smith testified to all the conversations he had with Dee Dee and filled in some of the blanks left by the conversations on the recordings. And the defense had to discredit Greg if they were going to have any hope of the jury not taking the tape seriously. They tried to make the jury see him as someone who wanted Abraham gone because he owed him money, but they couldn't. Greg was awesome on the stand. He looked sharp. He talked about the business he owned, and he had good answers for all the defense's questions on cross-examination. He was able to explain why he went to all the trouble to work for the police. He wanted to know what happened to his friend. And yeah, he was paying on the loan, so yeah. paying a lot more than he needed to. Mm-hmm. Throughout the trial, Dee Dee was doing some really odd things. Oh, she imagine would, that. <laughs> imagine she would constantly wink and smile at the judge. Ooh. She'd she'd <laughs> have outbursts after witness testimony, and she would sob so loudly she'd disrupt the court proceedings. Dee Dee decided not to take the stand, which is kind of surprising because the woman does love to tell a story. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, jurors took a little over three hours to reach a verdict, and on December 10th, 2012, they returned to the courtroom. They found Dee Dee Moore guilty of first-degree murder. Check. Check. At sentencing, the judge said the only reason he was not giving her the death penalty was because Abraham's mother, Elizabeth Walker, the gorgeous soul that she is, had asked them not to. Oh. The ju- I know. The judge told Didi Dee Dee that she was cold, calculated, cruel, and the most manipulative person ever to be in that courtroom. Dang. He told her that Abraham Shakespeare was her prey and victim and that money was the root of the evil that brought her to Abraham. He sentenced Dee Dee to life in prison without the possibility of parole. Not to I be confused with a life sentence, which is which uh, we 15 learned. years. Yes. <laughs> I didn't realize until recently that judges just get to give the most like drop the mic reality check to these people. It almost makes me uh-huh. want to be a judge. So I can just be like- You are scum of the earth, garbage human. Goodbye. (laughs) You're dismissed. Get out of (laughs) my room. (laughs) You know? Life in prison without parole. Yeah. Uh Uh-huh. Uh-huh. I know. I love it. They always get, they always have such a great last word. I know. But Dee Dee wasn't done. Okay. (laughs) First, she fought her little heart out to keep all the money she'd stolen and all the jewelry, designer bags, everything else that she'd bought with the money. She put up a real fight for the Red Hawk house, saying that she'd purchased it from Abraham, but there was no proof that she'd ever paid him for the house, so the loans were all returned to Abraham's estate. Dee Dee has tried to appeal her conviction multiple times. In 2019, she wrote a letter to a judge asking for a new trial and telling the judge that it was actually Greg Smith who killed Abraham because... He was having an affair with Greg's wife Oh. because that text message, you know? Yeah. Okay. Dee <laughs> Dee Moore says anyone who believed she killed Abraham Shakespeare is an idiot. Oh. <laughs> and that's the story of the murder of Abraham Shakespeare. That wasn't a story. That was like 18 <laughs> stories rolled into one. No kidding. <laughs> How did you even find this how'd you find this book i have heard this story on several other podcasts and it's one that just sticks sticks with you you know it's a wild story but i wanted more details because i never got like i never felt like i really heard it all you know so i uh i was trying to just find (laughs) some good articles and Just couldn't. I couldn't and all the articles I found all contradicted each other. So Mm -hmm. I went with the book. It was written with the help of Greg Smith, so he was a big contributor to that. So, you know, I mean he does paint himself a pretty nice picture. Yeah. And it's it's from his point of view. So but, you know, it is what it is what it is. It's interesting that like before I got into true crime, I guess I'm into true crime now. Um There's, like, you know, the stories you hear about, like, disgusting men preying on women and children and, mm-hmm. like, stuff like that. But these, mm-hmm. like, very – you could be in the wrong place at the wrong time, like, the collar bomb or this or even just, like, some of the Scientology stuff. Like, I'm going to come over mm-hmm. and say I want you back. And then you get – I mean, it's – Or Betsy Faria. Yeah. But Who just, is, like, got murdered by her friend for no Like, reason. for nothing. Yeah. Like for no reason. Or like the MySpace. I mean, I just, it, if you think about it too much, you kind of mm-hmm. like, I mean, you can't, but it's like, you could just be like in the wrong. I mean, you, you could just be a mom with a daughter who you support for cheerleading. And then the next thing you know, you got a hit out on you. I mean, it's just like, <laughs> all you're doing is like going yeah. to your girl's cheer thing. I mean, it's just. I know. I know. <sighs> And that's why I think it's really important that, you know, you're careful about who the people that you have in your circle, you know? I'm like growing up or when you're like in high school and you want your circle to be so big. And now I'm like, I I got room for four friends. (laughs) Hey, peeps and creeps. We'd love for you to follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook to help spread the word about how cool Kristen and I are or just how much you love the pod. So follow us on social media at CreepersPod and tell tell pal. You can also email us any feedback or ideas at creeperspod at gmail.com. It would really make our day. Yes, tell a friend. Tell two Tell two friends, even. You got And Do you have more than two friends? I don't. Oh, yeah, <laughs> I do. I have to have more than two friends. I don't have anything else in my <laughs> life. <laughs> you got two kitties. I got two kitties! Uh, and just a giant thank you to the people that have left a review we had a couple more slide in this week and it it was very exciting we just love it it is the best and they help us out because of Apple's stupid algorithm so if you liked this episode and you have an iPhone or you know somebody who does that hasn't given us a rating or review we would just love it if you would take a minute to give us a 5 star rating and a review if you have a prepaid phone mad love to you also mm, definitely Definitely. And be sure to subscribe to True Crime Creepers so you'll have our next episode as soon as it drops when I'll tell Mogab another wild story. What is it? Uh, you know. What a, I, mean. I do know. It's about the revenge of the PTA mom. Oh. Yeah. That's that I hope that keeps you up at night. <laughs> it does not. No, (laughs) nothing keeps me up at night. I sleep like a baby.